Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning through present day. And today we want to welcome back as our very special guest, Dr. Mike Carpin. So, Dr. Carpin, thank you for coming. Always a pleasure, Arch. Happy to be here. Dr. Carpin is a graduate of three of my favorite institutions, <laughs> Gettysburg College, Johns Hopkins, and also in the University of Pennsylvania. He teaches in the Social Studies Department at Marple Newtown High School. He teaches government and economics, and he does several other electives. And in our show from last week, he was talking about, in his opinion and my opinion, the worst Hollywood movie made about American history, The Patriot. And he had just finished talking about Bannister Tarleton, and we ran out of time. And so, Dr. Carpin, if you would just pick it right back up with your second character that you would like to talk about, the character played by Mel Gibson in The Patriot. Yeah, so thank you, Arch. And talk about Bannister Carlton in the form of William Tavington and how there's all this terrible made-up made stuff. And obviously, the other huge problem in this movie is this character of Benjamin Martin, played by Mel Gibson. It's it's not necessarily and, – and when I when I was thinking about this, I had to – I did to compose my thoughts very carefully here because it's not like a Bannister Charlton problem where they say he did all these things that he didn't do. The problem with the Mel Gibson character illustrates another crime against history that we commit. And that crime against history is glossing things over because they make us very uncomfortable today. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're we're having a lot of critically important discussions in this country right now about a lot of issues deeply rooted in American history. And these are very complex issues, troubling issues, but issues that deserve discussion and deliberation and consideration. And there is so much in the movie The Patriot that I find offensive as a historian. But I think what happens to the character of Benjamin Martin is Besides saying, you know, uh, this guy burned down this townspeople in this church when nothing like that ever really happened. That's one thing. But there is a much deeper, more organic problem with the Benjamin Martin character that makes this just not only makes this a, a bad historical movie, but but absolutely, absolutely one of the worst here. OK, so on the surface, Benjamin Martin is a composite. Because there's a lot of really important Americans, patriots running around the South in the 1780s. We talked about some of them in the last episode. Sumter, Pickens, Francis Marion. Let's throw on top of that Daniel Morgan. The great Nathaniel Green comes in as the commander of the Southern Army after Benjamin Lincoln. And so apparently, according to the writers of this movie, the Benjamin Martin character paid by Mel Gibson is all of these figures rolled up in one. Okay, so you can see as the film sets up that Benjamin Martin is a prominent landholding member of the society in Charleston, South Carolina. This is the late 1770s. This is the early 1780s. When you see where he lives, it looks an awful lot like a plantation. It's South Carolina. You know where this one is going. Now, this is really tricky here, and I was thinking about how I wanted to phrase this and how I wanted to discuss this. 
Slavery is a horror in American history. It is an abominable institution and one that was serious enough that it took the most destructive war in American history to thankfully get rid of in 1865. This is something that, you know, we've talked about George Washington before. This is something that many historical sites all across the United States are grappling with. Mm -hmm. To give context and to give understanding and to provide examination and to provide consideration. They're not ignoring it. It's it's something that cannot be ignored. It has to be discussed. And so you're watching this movie and you're you're seeing how this is going and you're seeing the lay of the land. And there is a scene where Tavington, the evil British guy, comes in and just starts killing the patriots and he shoots one of Benjamin Martin's children and he burns the house down and he comes across a group of people who we would think are enslaved people living on Benjamin Martin's property and he says now and again I'm I'm quoting the movie here he basically says take away all the slaves and the group of people say, oh, we're not slaves. We're free. We just work the land. <laughs> in South Carolina. Yeah. In 1780. And I don't I, I might have still been sort of hopped up on whatever was in my <laughs> mouth for that for that root canal. But I I burst out laughing in the middle of the movie theater. I absolutely and and my companion time was like, that's so funny. Like, what are you laughing at? <laughs> like, it's just I actually read later on that Spike Lee, the director, was similarly outraged by that. And, you know, it's just when we talk about crimes against history, the first crime against history is and I guess these are kind of connected to one another. The first crime is just whitewashing it. Like literally just getting it out of the equation because it makes us uncomfortable and we don't want to talk about it. And you cannot do that because there there are still very important issues that need examination. And I guess closely related to that is the second worst thing that you can do is to put – and well, the movie came out in 2000, so 20th, 21st century, however you want to character it, whatever you thought – the year 2000 was whether you you know whether you thought that was the millennium or not to put 20th and 21st century values on an 18th century character and so if we go into the backgrounds of Sumter and Pickens and Marion and Daniel Morgan and even Nathaniel Green you know we're gonna find things in their backgrounds that would not wash today in modern American society. And thankfully, because we've evolved as a society from that point. And so, and from what I read, this was a question that the filmmakers had. I think Gibson said at one point, and I have to give him credit for intellectual honesty, uh, he said, oh, I would have made Martin to, to have enslaved people. I, I would have done that. And the director and the writer of the film consciously decided not to do that. And I just found that so it just it, it just I, I, I just you, you, it's just hard for even today. It's like it's just hard for me 
to find the right words to discuss yes, yes. what uh, yep. to just what an absolute travesty that is. It's like it really is. It's like tearing down the statue. It's like just totally removing it out of the – we're never going to see that, and let's, let's never talk about it again. I just found it terrific. So I, I – horrific. I don't know – again, Arch, I, I'm sure your feelings are, are along similar lines, but that was just the worst. I almost walked out if I, yeah. if I actually was capable – if I was actually capable of driving home at that point because I was still a little loopy on some of the good stuff from some of the mm-hmm. dentist's office, you know, I, I, I think I would have left at that point because I just – I, I, and again, I don't know how you feel about it, but that was like one of the worst things in that movie. Well, I felt very repugnant and repulsed by that. And, you know, you, when you said that, that Hollywood has made Banisher Tarl now to be the evil bad guy and this character who really didn't own slaves. You know, I, you know, I, so I totally agree with you. And I don't know why they did that, but there's a reason why. But it, it's repugnant for that yeah. to, to be that way. And so in kind of wrapping things up, I think those are the two broad areas that uh, the reason why I would never, ever, ever, ever show this film in a history class. It just it takes a really interesting part of the American Revolution and boulderizes it into something barely worth thinking about. And then just the absolute, uh, I don't know, fictionalizing characters to the point where they're just ridiculous characters of people who we think exist in the 18th century, but I is definitely not the case. As you know, and I know, it's way more complex than that. And I think those complexities need to be examined and discussed and evaluated and, and acknowledged. And this movie does none of those. And so no. I would uh, you know, encourage all of your listeners out there <laughs> to avoid it at all costs. If you have seen this movie, it's not too late. Services are available. Um, you know, Arch, Arch and I are starting a mobile service. Yes. Uh, we will we will come to your home with primary sources and uh, and try to. No, I'm I'm kidding. No, don't. You're going to start getting phone calls. No. Um, you know, it, it's it just just to be avoided at all costs. And. There are so many inaccuracies in this movie, which you pointed out with Bannister Tarleton. In the movie, this Mel Gibson's character kills him. Bannister Tarleton yeah. lives till he's 81 years old. Yeah, I know. And, then, and that's the thing. Like, he goes back. He's he's a member of parliament. Like, yes. You know, he, it seems like he's like like a decent kind of guy. I don't know. And again, I don't know why that is. What's the one? I just thought of it. And I don't know how you feel about this show, but Turn that was on yes, yeah. uh, that was on AMC about Washington spies. There was the character, the real, and they didn't even make a composite. They gave him the real name. Yes, um, yes. Simcoe. Uh, and if anybody's seen this this show, you know what I'm what I'm talking about here. Simcoe was he was even worse than Tavington. And again, yeah. if you're a British guy, you're either a doofus or you're a, a cold-hearted sociopath. Simcoe was like this, was not a bad guy. He was the governor general of Canada for a really long time after the American Revolution. There's statues of him all over Canada. Like, it's, he was not a bad guy. Bannister Charlton, you know, he might have made some missteps as a, as a commander. You know, we could get in depth about the Battle of the Cowpens and how Daniel Morgan really suckered him and, and really destroyed him tactically, but he wasn't like this cold-blooded sociopath who gets killed during the Battle of the Cowpens and, you know, oh and, my goodness. And uh, uh, Francis Marion, 
didn't have any children. In the movie, he has five children. He yeah, actually he, he actually doesn't get married until he's fifty five years old, and I it's humorous that he didn't get married until he's fifty five. He marries a cousin, and everyone around him says that you know Francis Marion was fearless towards the British and the loyalists. He was scared to death of his wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there you go. That you know, yeah. Francis Marion was a smart man. Uh, he in, in the in the backwoods, I guess he learned uh, happy wife, happy life at some point. Yeah. And uh, and but that that let's let's not even talk about like Mel Gibson's character marrying his dead wife's sister at, mm-hmm. at one point. Like I remember my my oldest daughter, who's very historically inclined, said, you know, what do the, what do the kids call her? Aunt Mom? Like what what are you like that? She's like that's so. That's sister, and I know, like back then, it was a different era, and there were you know, marriages of convenience, and you did it for economic reasons, and, and different kinds of things like that. But oh boy, that was another one that I was just like, wow, really? Yeah. Like that's 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 interesting there. So yeah, Fra- and Francis Marion, one of the fathers of special forces, the the guy who runs my gym is a former army ranger, and he talks about Francis Marion with hushed voices as one of the you know one of the founders of a lot of the elite forces that we have in the United States today. And that's the thing, you know, there's just there's so much fantastic stuff out there. You know, yeah. every story, every story in American history is just fascinating. Um, the, there are so many wonderful stories involved in the American Revolution and for a you know a Hollywood film studio just to make it up but to dress it up real pretty is just uh it's just an absolute disservice yeah. and it's just right. so lazy and it's so should just be avoided at all costs. Uh, people who know a lot about Scottish history have similar problems with another Mel Gibson movie Braveheart. I I and I don't know as much Scottish history but you know people are they, people who are in the know don't even get me started on that movie. So it's just, it's really, uh, it's really to be avoided. Well, let's shift gears here, Dr. Carpin, and okay. share with our listeners, in your opinion, the best movie, Hollywood movie made about okay. American history. All right. So this might be a little, I don't know, this might be a little bit of a dark horse contender or, or something along those lines. Um, but this is a movie that I first watched as a child. It was one of those moments where, my parents said to me, you need to sit down and, and watch this movie. And you need to sit down and watch this movie right now. And I said, okay. And it was the best years of our lives, which came out in 1947, directed by William Wyler. Hands down, one of my, not only just probably my favorite historical movie, but hands down, one of my top five movies of all time, and I'm not even discussing it. Whenever, whenever I teach U.S. history, especially 20th century U.S. history, and even if it gets me in trouble with administration a little bit for showing a, a full movie, which I'm I'm kind of not supposed to do, I show this movie because I think on so many levels, it is such a deeply profound, moving, informative. It really is uh, just a spectacular firsthand primary source for a really critical, I mean, all periods in U.S. history are really critical, but the period after World War II, that transition from World War II to the 1950s, which is so important in U.S. history, and this film in just about two and a half hours just encapsulates it so wonderfully that everybody should see this movie. If you haven't seen it, you got to go see it. 
And so I'll, I'll, depending on how much time we have left in this segment, well, we're, we're, I'll, we're looking, uh, I'll, we're I'll have about, we really have about seven or eight more minutes at this point. Okay. So please, please well, share with okay. All right. Okay. So I'll set up a little bit and then we'll, we'll go to the next episode with, with the rest of it. Okay. So really it's, I always say like the best things are the most simple and the premise of this film is a theme that we could take back to antiquity the soldier returning from war. Mm -hmm. There was this little poem called The Odyssey that touched upon that thousands of years ago. It is a constant theme in history. And it's something that in the hands of William Wyler is taken and and just, I I mean, I'll I'll talk about it here. It's very hard to like boil my thoughts down to something something cohesive because I, I, I love this movie so much. You know, I, as, a, as a child, I was guilty of having a very romanticized outlook on the Second World War. You know, and I was that history kid. I was really interested in that stuff. My grandfather was in the Second World War. A lot of people's grandfathers were in the Second World War. I read the books. I saw the pictures. You begin to see some of the movies. One of the um, sternest lectures I ever got from my grandfather, who never talked about the Second World War, a lot of those guys didn't talk about the Second World War, was I said to him at one point, I said to him at one point, it was so cool that you were in World War II, Grandpa. And, you know, a little youthful exuberance. Sure. Um, and he kind of, uh, it was not cool. And I'm not going to tell you why, but it was not cool. So you have like this very romanticized, you think of the end of war, you see the ticker tape parades, you think of the Eisenstadt photo of the sailor kissing the nurse on Times Square, all of those different kinds of things. World War II ended, guys came home, everything went back to normal, right? And this movie demonstrates that the soldiers coming back from World War II face the same challenges as any soldiers in any war and in any type of situation. And so so before we get into the film, a little bit of background about the film's director, William Wyler. William Wyler had won the Oscar, the Best Director Oscar, for a film called Mrs. Miniver in 1940. So this is like one of the big guys here. So during World War II, there are five, imagine this happening today, five major Hollywood film directors who go abroad into different theaters to film the war effort. And I'm not talking about like, you know, some young film director trying to make his bones so he can become famous later on. I'm talking about William Wyler, Mm. John Houston, who directed Stagecoach, Frank Capra. Frank Capra was one of these film directors, George Stevens and William Wyler. There's actually a series on Netflix called Five Came Back about it's a three-part documentary about these directors and some of the different things it's actually it's actually pretty good here and so Weiler spent time in Europe with the 8th Air Force and one of his films that the, the Memphis Bell which was made into you know a movie in the 90s was he shot a documentary on the 25th mission of the Memphis Bell but William Weiler he wasn't sitting back in an office directing people he was going on flights he was going on missions he lost uh, part of his hearing because he was on a mission and a German flak shell exploded right next to the plane and he lost some of his hearing. One of his cinematographers was killed in another B-17 that was that was shot down over Germany. And so this was a these directors really experienced the Second World War. They really understood the perspective of the soldiers. They saw the sights. They saw the horrors. 
they saw absolutely everything. You know, Frank Capra did Why We Fight. Uh, you know, there was just a lot of stuff that 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 comes out of here. Um, all of them were very moved by their experiences, and so Weiler, like any like any other guy, like uh, you come back to this and you have to transition back to civilian life. And, you know, and what are you doing before the war, before you saw these young kids going up into these planes and doing these dangerous missions and, 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 and killed and wounded and, and all these things. And you have to go back to making like, you know, movies for some Hollywood studio for entertainment. And, and Wyler really had like, um, he, he kind of questioned whether he could, he could return back to that kind of work. But he eventually decided that he could, he could go back into work, but he decided to go with what he knew and what he was experiencing at that moment. Soldiers returning back to civilian life after, after all those years of service. And Dr. Carpin, um, with this movie, where would our listeners be able to see this movie? Where are we able to see? see it um i i bought a copy off of amazon a lot of years ago it is available as a digital download on let's see i don't know if it's if it's streaming anywhere it's definitely available on amazon as a as a digital download okay. uh or you can, can also it. rent it let me see what the um let me see what yeah i see it on I see it on Amazon. It's often on cable too. I catch it a lot on Turner Classic Movies Turner and, Classic. and and some of those. If you went to decider.com, you could you could figure out where it is. I was really struck when you said that these directors really went into the uh, theaters of operation to get the feel it's, for for to be able to make these movies. That that is very impressive. It is it is unbelievable. I I mean I would heartily encourage your listeners to watch the the five came back which is on netflix and really and really details the stories i mean john ford happens to be on midway island when the battle of midway begins um and and films footage of the first japanese attacks on on that island i think it's uh john houston um john houston films uh the concentration camps as they're being discovered uh, you know, it is just these. They were not sitting in an office. They were not sitting back and and letting other people do the grunt work. They were definitely in the field, you know, filming things firsthand. It's absolutely remarkable. I, I said to my daughter the other day, like, you can't imagine James Cameron doing that. You can't imagine, you know, I, li- I like Taika Waititi, but I, I can't I can't imagine him going in and, and doing something like that. And it really, when you understand that, and then you begin to you begin to to peel the layers back on this film, uh, it just gives a different context to it. And how how well did this film do with the American public? Well, that that's that's what I'll I'll kind of talk about at the end because I think that there there's some interesting things um in in there as well so i i think i'll i'll, I'll kind of work okay. through the film i don't know how much time do we have left on this segment? well we're we're, we're up against the time for at, we're at up this, against so, it right now 
if you would agree to come back and continue uh, this conversation on a, on a future show, I know our listeners would be very, very interested in hearing your comments on that. If you would be so kind to come back. Absolutely. I, I would never leave you or your audience hanging about such a wonderful <laughs> film. So I am I am happy to do that. Well, you're a great American, Dr. Carpin. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I try to be. We're going to continue this, listeners, with Dr. Carpin in future shows. So, Dr. Carpin, thank you for coming and sharing for these past two weeks. And we're going to have you back to continue these conversations. Always a sincere pleasure. Thank you so much for coming. This is 1180 AM WFYL, Working for Your Liberty.